Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside, inside and outside of, of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hi, hello, everyone. Uh, today, I am excited to introduce uh, my guest, uh, KL. KL. Oh, there I see your name. It's on. It's on the screen. KL Wells. <laughs> yes. Awesome. But KL and I were just having a discussion about uh, how inept I am at uh, anything to do with IT. So, uh, and, and those of you that have uh, heard my podcast understand uh, my challenges. <laughs> but I will get better. <laughs> uh, KL is the founder and CEO of Voices in Courage, uh, where she provides resources for loved ones of addicts and alcoholics. And she's also uh, an executive coach and a business consultant. Mm -hmm. uh, KL, real briefly, what is your website for Voices in Courage? And then we'll have you say it again at the end too, just so people have a chance to- Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thanks for having me, Jim. I'm thrilled to be here with you too. Um, and so it's voicesincouragein.com. So, mm -hmm. so, so and, and, and along with, with all that, I, I have to say, uh, KL is, is one of the most exciting people that I've, I've met uh, here recently. So- when I'm describing a previous conversation I had with her with my other friends, I always say, and my new best friend, Kale. <laughs> You're so kind. So, so, we did so have a really is, fun conversation, Jim. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and, and so I would encourage everyone to look up her other podcast that she's done. If you if you Google her, uh, mm -hmm. she is just a just a, a, an incredible wealth of uh, information. So so today um, and, and this this will be this is exciting because it's going to be a little different. Uh, conversation where usually uh, uh, in in my podcast, uh, Kale, you know, we speak about addiction specifically, mm -hmm. how it affects the user, uh, uh, and again, all that in, in breaking the stigma, trying to break down about what the user is experiencing, uh, how people can look at that, the whole dynamics of that relationship differently. This mm -hmm. is going to tie into that so wonderfully because. Uh, I know that when we talked earlier, Kelly, you said that you have some uh, ideas about self-care for the parents mm -hmm. of of a user, which would have been, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, such vital information for right. for for my wife and I. And I think well, one of the things that happened in in, in Zach's addiction is that uh, we were in such denial, and again, the the whole stigma of addiction was so strong. We didn't know how to approach it. We didn't know where to go with it. Right. And along with this idea of self-care, we didn't know how to care for ourselves in that mm -hmm. whole process. So, yeah. uh, so, so, so please just dive right in and then I'm going to interrupt you from time to time if I want to know more information, but uh, <laughs> you have such great information. Again, everyone, this is KL. Absolutely. So let me just give a little bit of background um, as to my story is um, I am the daughter of a prescription medication um, addict. And my brother was a cocaine addict. Um, I married um, a PTSD Vietnam vet alcoholic. And then subsequently, my son um, had uh, drug addiction issues. And so this has been a lifelong of work for me. 
And so as I talk about these things, and Jim and I talked about this the other day, is what I talk about at this point did not come just like in the last five years. This has been decades in the making. This has been a lifelong journey for me. And so I am really able to speak to a much higher level of performance in the midst of the trauma, the tragedy, the um, devastation, the heartbreak of uh, addiction, even when we're talking about our children. And, and so what I, what I learned in the last five years, because um, basically the story is twofold, is um, as an executive coach on August 8th, 28th of 2018, I was walking into a meeting with an executive team, fast growth company. Um, and um, I had been coaching with them for a couple of years. I went to that meeting um, and found out very quickly that three days prior to that meeting, the CEO's son had overdosed and died from an, uh, an addiction. And um, so I immediately stepped into kind of holding the space for them because, you know, they'd never been through anything like this before. They, deer in the headlights, for all intents and purposes, the CEO has been taken off the playing field. How do they navigate now without having a CEO who at that moment was um, in Mexico retrieving her son's body? Yeah. And, um, and so I held the space for them. I helped them navigate for months um, around all the things, went to the celebration of life for the CEO's son. And, um, and what I tell is, is that what they didn't know for months until I felt like it might serve them in, in helping them understand that I knew this journey far more than they thought I did. The same day that her son died, I was standing on a sidewalk in Puyallup, Washington, um, witnessing my son who was in drug psychosis be arrested at gunpoint by four police officers. And so between that Saturday and that Tuesday, I had done enough of my work to be able to hold the space for them in their own trauma around losing um, a young man at a really early age who was actually my son's same age um, and not be triggered, not be activated, not basically say, I can't handle this. I, you know, I peace out. I've got to go. Um, and so what I learned from that experience was that the skills that I had learned along the way for all these years had actually served me really well in one of the darkest moments of not only my life, but this CEO's life. And that's where the five acts of courage was born, uh, which was out of my own realization. Okay, I've got some skills here. I need to get them written down and kind of think about this. What did I actually do? And, um, and so one of those things, the second one, the second act of courage is to take care of yourself. <laughs> um, and most of us, particularly parents, um, are very focused on fixing or saving their child when they realize that there's an addiction issue or an alcohol issue. And, and lots of times they kind of go into the dark hole with them. And that in no way, shape or form serves your child um, if you're in the hole with them. They need a model of health and wholeness at the same time they're dealing with their disease. 
And I was very clear early on, although let me, let me be very clear about this. There were lots of drop to my knees, sobbing, crying, losing it. Um, the, the difference is that I allowed myself and gave myself permission to feel at that level because loving our kids is what I would consider, uh, it's that's deep, deep loving. That's loving the deepest we can possibly love. And so if you're going to step into that space of deeply loving, um, you need to allow yourself to feel the love, to feel the sadness, to feel the heartbreak, to feel the shattering that at various points along the way in this journey, you're going to feel. And so instead of denying it, instead of stuffing it, instead of acting as if that's not what's taking place, you really do need to lean in um, and, uh, and feel it and release it because it's just energy. Um, and, and this is part of the resiliency muscle that I believe we all need to grow. Um, and it models for our kids how do we as parents handle the toughest, darkest moments of our lives so we can model for them how they actually can handle the deepest, darkest moments of their lives? And, and Kel, let, let me say, as, as, I, as, I'm hearing you, as, as I'm hearing you talk about this, mm-hmm. and, and it sounds like, again, you've had, you've had decades of, of experience. And, and, and work, so, lots of counseling. <laughs> right. So, so I'm, 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 I'm really, I'm, I'm really setting the stage for myself right now. And I'm just going to speak for myself, not anyone else that's listening, but mm-hmm. what I don't want to do is I don't want to beat myself up because I didn't respond the way you responded. Cause I absolutely, didn't, I, I didn't have that, those decades of, 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 of trauma and experience to build that up or right. go, but what this, what this tells me. And, and I also know that when we are in crisis, when I was in crisis and my, mm-hmm. and my wife, all of a sudden it's that it's that fight or flight part of like we had talked about the other day it's like right i just want to get it i just want to fix it right and i'm not thinking clearly so the ability to have a conversation like you're starting now to mm-hmm. begin to think about mm-hmm. any of these elements before it happens mm-hmm. is so but again we're you, you know we're, we're a pleasure seeking society it's like well why do i want to do work if i don't have to do work right right, right. But, but so this would be Again, why this conversation here is is so important. Okay, I just wanted to. I, again, I'm giving myself permission to not beat myself up. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so what I would say is, Jim, is um, <laughs> so this is the psychology piece that I'm steeped in, um, but also I know a lot about the brain science pieces. Co- uh, comparison is a is um, a failed strategy. Okay. So we need to honor our own journey, where it is, where it's going, where it's been, Um, because we don't all, I mean, none of us put our foot in the same place in the river. So you have your own journey and, and out of that journey, you've created this podcast, you've created an amazing organization. I have my own journey and, and, you know, so I bring a different piece to the puzzle of this whole um, landscape of addiction and alcoholism. So you have your role to play, which is born out of your experience. And I have my role to play, which is born out of my experience. So for those parents who are sitting out there or anybody who's listening to this podcast, stop comparing. Absolutely, just stop it right now. It it, it is nothing but a deadly um, track 
to, to walk down. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is most of us kind of come to this through some sort of traumatic experience. Now, I just happened to talk about my son and this CEO, but you know, I grew up with a mom who was addicted to, to prescription medications and then my brother. And so there were plenty of moments along the way that were traumatic for me in growing up. I just didn't know what to do with it. Um, and so that's when I started reading books and learning and I got a master's degree in counseling. And, and so for decades, I've been on this journey of, I'm fascinated by human beings. <laughs> so what, what do we do when we're faced with a crisis? And there's so much research out there now. Uh, one of the people I talked to you about was Dr. Bill Crawford out of Houston, Texas. And his book, which is Life from the Top of the Mind, is just a brilliant way to think about how our brains work. And that we, when we understand how our brains work, then we are in, in more agency of ourselves. And when we're in crisis, which is a brainstem, our bodies are washed in cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and we make really poor decisions. And we fight, flight, or freeze. And so um, the idea is to get us out of our brainstem and to shift us up to our neocortex where we can have these kinds of conversations in a way that's going to serve us and give us creative possibilities and better decisions. And um, we'll have more confidence. We'll have more clarity to be able to make those kinds of decisions. And, and so this is one of the things that I really coach and train on is uh, we're, because we're humans, we're going to have those moments when we're kicked into our brainstem. The difference is we can get ourselves out of our brainstem and up to our neocortex. So, um, so I want to give people hope for one thing is to say that we are far more, we have far more power than we give ourselves credit for, for one thing. We still need to feel the feelings, but don't let them hijack us. Don't let them just take over. I mean, you know, five minutes of anger suppresses our immune system for three hours. Wow. And how many parents are angry with their kids? Angry with the situation, just angry about it all. Um, and so, wow, okay, so not only are you just like killing your immune system, you are setting yourselves up for really poor decisions and you're not going to get the outcomes that you want, which is you want your child or the one that you love um, to walk hopefully down a path of health and wellness, but we're not in control. So how do we healthily love someone in the midst of their disease? And that's our journey. Well, and uh, we have about 30 more minutes for you to tell us that. <laughs> and, 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 and then and then we'll solve the world's problems. No, that's, again, just to think of it, uh, here's what I love about, about your message right there, Kayla, is that, is that there's hope. Yes. Because when, when you're in that crisis, mm -hmm. you don't feel like there's any hope. Right. It, it is a, it, it is, it is lost. It's something that, you've never dealt with. And, and all you can think of is how did I get here? And then the blaming, you know, what could I have done different or, mm -hmm. or the blaming the other way that all he has to do is change it, right. it all of it. 
And, and that's why I, I, I love these thoughts that you're going to talk about, about self-care for us, modeling that, mm -hmm. you know, for other people and, and mm -hmm. such. So uh, again, so thankful that uh, we're going to have some hope today. Yeah, we are. And, and so I think I said this to you the other day when we were talking is, you know, that moment when I'm standing on a sidewalk watching my son be arrested, um, how I framed that was I was the love on the sidewalk for him in the midst of probably one of the most traumatic experiences of his life. Now it was also traumatic for me, but I was very clear that I was the love in the, in the room, so to speak. And I, and I wanted to be that love in the room for him in the midst of that. Now I did go upstairs to my hotel room and completely lose it um, until I was done, you know, letting the emotions work their way through me. Um, so out of the five acts of courage, the first thing is feel, feel whatever it is you're feeling, allow yourself, give yourself the gift of feeling, which is one of the reasons why we have an addiction alcohol problem is because our notion is we don't want to deal with pain, right? We don't want to deal with the ugliness of being a human. Well, I'm sorry, but being a human is the full spectrum. Um, and, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier is I think as a parent, somewhere along the way, we got the message that our job is to keep our kids safe yes. from suffering and pain. And I want I'm to make like, your life better than my life was. I want them to have an easy road, right? I mean, well, like how delusional is that? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Um, so I reframed based on, you know, a lot of different help from a lot of different people and leaned into, okay, my job is to number one, love him through his disease, no conditions, no judgment as best as possible. Let him know that no matter what, and how many times I was with him when he was high, that he was still loved no matter what. Number one. Number two um, was my job was when he got um, clean and sober, which there were multiple times of clean and sober and then relapse and, you know, all the things, because this is the journey of addiction, um, is to model for him healthy and whole. Uh, I was taking care of myself. I was getting good sleep at night. I was doing the things that a healthy whole person does um, and getting exercise. And, um, I have great friends and I, I have work that I absolutely adore, you know, so all of those things were taking place in the midst of my son's disease in, in addiction and the relapses and all the things. Um, what I'd say is, is that our job as a parent is not to keep them safe from pain and suffering. Our job as a parent is to teach them how to lean in experience it and work through it. And what are the gifts and lessons embedded in pain and suffering? Every single one of us, more than likely anybody who's listening to this right now has experienced pain and suffering. Right. I don't know if in the midst of the pain and suffering, you're actually asking yourself the question, what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this? But I can tell you over years of training myself, um, as soon as something shows up, when I found out the day that the day that I found out my son was using fentanyl, I immediately said to myself, okay, what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me? That's the question I leaned into. 
And so the questions that we have going through our minds and what we say out loud leads us down a certain path. My path very intentionally was not to stay in crisis, but to move my way through struggling and surviving to thriving. I didn't want to just survive this. What a different message than the kind of panic. Yes. Which is what I, which is what I experienced. And, And back to your point, Anytime that I went through anything hard, that's where I've grown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. I, I yes. mean, and I don't mean just like the, the loss of my son, but I mean, you know, prior to that, any time in life yes. where there's been where there's been some some pain, there's been growth that has come out of that for me. Yes. And so we have this notion that life happens to us, like we're a victim of life. Well, actually, I believe that life happens for us. You know, when life feels, for me, when life feels like it's been falling apart, I know because I've lived enough of it. it my life is actually falling together. Huh. I might not see in that moment how it's falling together, but I have faith and I trust that it is because I've been there so many times. And so, for instance, um, in my brother's dealing with cocaine addiction, Um, I was actually the one who helped him get into his one and only rehab. As a teen, watching my brother self-implode was extraordinarily painful. And for all intents and purposes, I really lost my brother to drugs um, when when we were early teens, although he lived into his 50s. Um, What I'd say is it wasn't until I went through this experience with my son that I realized all that I had experienced with my brother was the gift because I knew what the path was for my son. So I was so much more proactive in what I did, how I approached it, all the things based on my experience with my brother. So my brother gave me a gift he, he will never know because he's already passed, but I don't know that I would have been able to share that with him anyway, but I just kept living into what are the gifts and lessons embedded in all of these experiences that I've had. I mean, so what I know to be true is that if you lean into that, you will find the gifts and lessons. It's it's a very, it, it, you use the word proactive. It's a very proactive stance. Yes. Uh, which again, that, that gives me kind of that sense of control yeah. That I had felt like I had lost. Right. Right. Now right. I don't have control. I would have had control over my son like I wanted, but I didn't have control over, over myself, over anything for crying out loud. When you're in that crisis. I right. Right. And, them. and that's the illusion. I mean, you know, Victor Frankl's um, book, a man's search for meaning. There's so many books now that we can grab a hold of and learn from people who've been through really, really horrific things. And what they have come to know is that it's not the circumstances or situations that we're in. We don't have control over those things. What we absolutely unequivocally have control over is who we are in that moment, how we think, how we behave, how we show up. And that is that, that those are thought patterns and behavior patterns that can be perfected in ways that can serve us at a much higher level. And that's the hope is that we can change, yes. is that we can learn and grow and stretch and be far more powerful in our own agency, in our own lives. 
and be models for others. And that's my job at this point is, is to model for others and, and, and give them a hand up through the pain and suffering and the trauma and the tragedy and the heartbreak and the shattered dreams and all of those things um, is because there is another side. Well, and you and Kale, you had mentioned um, that that progression from from you know where we are now to the thriving point at the end. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and how to and, and how to move through there. Are are there a are there a series of steps that you've defined, or what are those beginning steps that 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 parents or family members can mm -hmm. use to 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 get there? Well, for one thing, uh, yes, and we're we're about a month away from um, uh, having an ebook and a paperback book um, called "The Five Acts of Courage," which illuminates all of this. So, but what I would say is that's where the five acts was born. Was me actually thinking through that? Okay, crisis taking place now. What do I do? I feel first. Then what do I do? As soon as I found out my son was on using fentanyl, I like ratcheted up my self care. So you and I were talking a little bit before yes. we got on. I said, okay, so I start my morning. I wake my, my eyes pop open. I immediately go to gratitude. Three things that I am most grateful for before I even pop out of bed. Okay. So I pop out of start your day. Yes. I, because I look, my, my eyes popped open. I'm alive. You know, I took a breath. Um, I I'm still in this thing we call life, this crazy thing we call life. And I am thrilled to be here. And, uh, and I'm thinking about the things that are going to take place in my day. And so I'm, you know, I get my exercise in the morning, but one of the things I thought about today is I'm super excited to be talking to you today. Um, and so I'm already imagining how that conversation is going to go and seeing your bright face and the aliveness that um, we're going to have in terms of this conversation. So that's, that's where I start my day. Then I pop up out of bed, I hydrate. Um, I stretch, I do a bunch of stretching to wake my body up and, you know, I'm six, almost 66 years old. So I'm getting the kinks out, you know? Um, and, um, I, and then I have a, uh, a high antioxidant and then I head to the gym and, um, I did a weight workout today. Um, I do weight training for four days a week. I do cardio three days a week. Um, you know, so I have that when I'm on my way back from the gym, I'm listening to a podcast. That is uplifting and informational for me. And so I'm hitting, you know, I'm hitting the three keystones that I consider um, imperative, mission critical for our self-care. One is meditative thought, which is my gratitude in the morning. Two is, you know, exercise, which helps clean us out and release toxic energy and darkness and all the things. And, and, what, and the third is getting great sleep. So if you just focused on one, if you're not doing any of them, just focus on one, um, getting some exercise. If you got outside and walked for 15 to 20 minutes a day, and that's all you focused on bringing in as a new habit into your life, it's gonna start to shift your life. So then the third thing is who you surround yourself is, with is who you become. So 95% of our success or failure is absolutely attributed to who we surround ourselves with. So when this whole thing came up with Sam, I went through my friend list um, and distanced myself from the people who brought judgment, 
and blame and shame and all the things to the table and upped my friend group in terms of the people that could hold the space for me from a non-judgmental place for me and my wife and my son um, to allow me my journey. So, so KL, let me, let me stop you there for a second. Cause I know that when, when we identified that Zach had a problem and it had been going on for a long time and we were just in complete denial, but even after we mm -hmm. identified that, yeah, the shame was so great for us yes. that we reached out to no one. Right. So, but again, I didn't, I didn't hear this message before then. Right. I can imagine if I did, I would have thought to myself, who can I talk to? Yes. And, and I don't know that I would have had a list. So now, and the irony of that is, and I've, I've said this before, it's Zach's celebration of life. Yeah. Everyone that came through the receiving line to yeah. a person said to me, oh my gosh, Jim, my, you know, my, I had an uncle that was an alcoholic. Yep. My college roommate, you know, became addicted to, you know, to opiates. Right. I fill in the blank. It was. Yep. So it's all out there, but. But again, there's something that no one talks about. So how how would you encourage someone to find that core group of people that they don't know exists right now? Well, for one thing, I uh, two things that I think about as you say that. Number one, isolation kills. Okay, it is deadly um, to our psyche, to our spirit, to our emotional well-being, um, and, and all of that. So you need to get clear that if you're isolating up, you are at a massive disadvantage. Okay. Um, then number two is um, reach out to the one person that you believe might be able to hold the space for you and let them know I, I need to share this with you. It, this is very hard for me to do, but I'm asking you to suspend any judgment that you might bring to the table and just love me in this moment. Wow. So that's well, Jenna, the asking for it, help. I could see that being really tough. Uh, you know, for people with big, you know, that, that haven't, that have a big ego or they see themselves as a leader in their community in their work. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, so let, let's deal with the third thing. One is what you said was everybody who came through the receiving line, for the most part, had a story. Right. One out of every three American families is dealing with alcoholism or drug addiction. One out of every three. Okay. So I don't, honestly, at this point, I don't know one person and I have a big tribe, okay, that doesn't know somebody or have them in their family. So that's the illusion that we have told ourselves. That's where the, why the stigma is still alive and well, is we believe we're alone and yes, that we should yes. be ashamed of this disease. Right. Um, and so then we isolate up and we are ill-prepared to handle anything that comes along. Um, so that's, I mean, your work is to shatter the stigma. Well, first we've got to get real and say, look, uh, you look to the right, you look to the left, they're all dealing with shit too. Yeah. yeah. So the difference is, is that there are some people who are dealing well with it and there are some people who are dealing not so well with it. So again, um, it's just like in anything, you wanna make sure that you have at least two or three people in your life that you can call for anything. 
Um, and what we know in terms of research is that that is the, one of the number one things that keeps us healthy mentally is having two or three really close friends that we can turn to for whatever's going on. And we've become less and less capable, not capable. Um, we have let our skill sets deteriorate from that perspective. We got to skill up um, in terms of growing communities that support us and love us in the midst of life. So then the fourth thing is, and we've, we've touched on different things is um, just, you know, this whole shame thing is kind of rooted in we've done something wrong and blame. Well, that's a belief that's got to be shattered because it is absolutely false. And so, again, like I said, is profound questions lead you to profound answers. And so I don't, I'm not in, I'm not at all like into blame at all because I know it's a failed construct. Um, so I am really rooted in what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me? What am I meant to learn? How is it meant to serve my life's purpose? Because it is, everything is. Um, and so I'm just trained at this point to immediately think like that. And that's a muscle I've grown through the years. Wow. You know what, Kale? It, uh, every step that you talk about, mm -hmm. it, it, and, and it, it really goes back to the training that you've done for yourself, the work mm -hmm. that you've done on yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I think about uh, all of the athletic activities that I've ever done mm -hmm. in my life and the kind of training to get to a certain level that I choose mm -hmm. to do, mm -hmm. uh, the education that I sought in my life and the kind of training and the years of education that, that I chose to do. Right. For that. All of those things, uh, you know, when I took up practicing the guitar and the daily activities that I mm -hmm. put into mm -hmm. that, which was just, which was just another activity, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, but yet somehow I, I have this notion that uh, just to, you know, to, to live a, uh, to live a good life, is just going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and to deal, and to deal with the shit that comes every day in, in negative situations, Right. I should just somehow know how to deal with that. It should yeah, just no. put off me. And then when I get home, it should just happen like it does for the TV families, right? <laughs> right. And, and and what I hear, what I hear you saying, because you you come across as very well put together, yet mm -hmm. you have this long history of of mm -hmm. of, of, of trauma and tragedy mm -hmm. and everything that's that's attacked you at, at each step of the way. And I can see, mm -hmm. but you know what? You put work into it. Yes. You yeah. have been purposeful at each step to the point that every day when you wake up, you have a purposeful you know, routine. And I could just, I could hear myself saying in, in the past, well, I just don't want to do that. You know, hey, I need to lose 30 or 40 pounds. Well, you, you know, so I just, I need to cut, you know, you know, sugar or all white foods out of my diet, right? I need to eat. Mm -hmm. Well, I just don't want to do that. I like mm -hmm. the way fill in the blank tastes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's just, again it's just it's it's uh as simple as it sounds it's just eye-opening it takes it takes work 
Yes, this this does take work. I think the thing that for me in some respects is so hope giving um, is that we are not destined to being captured by the disease or the darkness. And our brains, there this whole research around neuroplasticity. I mean, like if if I um, was unable to change the trauma of my brain from my childhood, we would not be having this conversation. But even though the research wasn't there when I was growing up, I knew there was a better way. And intuitively, I knew I needed to find people who were living the life that I wanted to live. Um, at that point, you know, because I'm 66, um, I would go to the library and get autobiographies off the bookshelf. Well, at that point, the autobiographies were either football players or generals in the army. <laughs> you know, well, in this day and time, we are so blessed with so many resources in terms of podcasts and great books and yeah. trainings we can do online and um, or in, in person and so on and so forth. There is absolutely no reason if you want to create a different life, you cannot find people and resources to make that happen. So we need to wake up um, if we choose to create a different outcome for our lives. And so, I mean, honestly, Jim, if people knew the full breadth of all the things that I've been through, they'd wonder how I was even like talking to you at this moment, um, or how do I wake up in the morning and open my eyes with gratitude? Right. Um, and, and so what I would say is, this is all retraining our brains of thinking, habits of thinking, habits of behavior, and I'm in charge. And I know what kind of outcome I want. Um, and um, I am committed to creating that outcome because I have a life I love. So the final act of the five acts of courage is vigilant learning continue to learn. Every morning I'm listening to a podcast. I have a whole bunch of people that I love listening to. I'm reading a book at night. I'm watching something on YouTube or uh, Hulu or Apple in the evening. Um, and now granted, I do take breaks from stuff. Um, but I, what I have found to be true is there's, I'm a resource for so many people because very few people have read as many books as I have or watched as many things or, you know, have done this kind of work. Right. Um, so I, I'm hard pressed when talking to somebody where I can't say, oh, okay, if you're really interested in taking this on, this is a great book for you to read. Like we did the other day. You know, I gave right. you a couple books that I thought these would be illuminating for you um, and would begin to expand, you know, number four, your beliefs and how you look at the world and your worldview in, in a more hopeful and um, life-giving, affirming way. Um, and, you know, life, hmm, life um, isn't what we think it is, okay? Um, life is what we focus on. <laughs> so yeah. I choose to focus on life-giving, aliveness, um, illuminating, things like that doesn't mean I am not aware of the wars that are happening in the world, the really horrific things that are at, at play at this point. 
I'm just not spending uh, a lot of my time there because my work and my purpose in the world is to be a light for those who want to walk that path. Well, and that's, as you were discussing that, this thought came in, a very good friend of mine just recently told me, and he's not the only one I've heard this other places, because as I'm listening, oh my gosh, this sounds great. If I just had an extra 10 hours in every day, I could do all of this. Okay, so let's let's just take that. And here's what my friend told me. He says, Jim, I have stopped. I watch no news. Yeah. And I thought about how often we'll just turn the news on and it just plays in the background. No, nope, And it's nope. just this source of negativity that yeah. just floods because none of the positive stuff that you've talked about is ever mentioned <laughs> no. uh, on the news, no. right? Because as they used to say, that doesn't sell newspapers, right? Right. But, if, it, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And, and so, you know, what I found is that when I get in my car, I turn on a podcast or or a book. In fact, the book you recommended, I'm almost halfway through it, you know, awesome. after, after three days it, and it's fantastic. And so, mm-hmm. so there, you know, when I'm exercising, you know, I have, I have earbuds in, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm listening to something. Mm-hmm. So we can create that time mm-hmm. uh, again, but it has to be purposeful. Yes. And here's what I'd say, kind of coming back to what you just said was, I'm not, I'm not saying all the, that people should do all these things. I'm saying on the front end, if you choose to want to move out of crisis towards struggling and then towards surviving and then towards thriving, do one, just take one and create that habit. So out of the three keystones, um, start exercising, get outside, go for a walk, just start one habit and be consistent at that one habit. So if you know what a trim tab is, I don't. Okay, so a trim tab is a little bitty um, rudder on the big rudder of these huge ships. Okay, so what I just said to you was it's a trim tab habit. One thing to start, it will it will guide and have tremendous impact in moving your ship in the direction that you say you want to go. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, this this is well. I can't wait to uh, for for your book to come out. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and and dive in deeper into all of these things. This is just uh, KL. It's just phenomenal. And and I know that we're 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 coming up on our on our time. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, it was. We we talked about the self care. Uh, just if you briefly, I would like for you to touch on what we, we had mentioned about how we can change the discussion that we have with our with our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, if we're making these changes in our lives, that's going to come out right, mm-hmm. right, right in, in, in some way. But <clears throat> focus back a, a little more, if you will, when uh, our responsibility with our with our kids isn't necessarily just to make their lives comfortable and to protect them from everything but to help guide them through that was one of the important points that that you made earlier mm-hmm. well just just expand on that a little bit uh, for us here about about how our how our conversations can become 
more positive with them when we're not micromanaging, right, everything that they're doing. Well, first and foremost is we have to stop micromanaging. Um, our kids are brilliant in their own ways. We think we're here to teach them. I'm telling you, they're here to teach us more than we are them in some respects. So our job is to find out who they are, to be curious about who they are, to follow their inspired lead um, in what they care about and what they're interested in and join them in the journey of their journey. Um, and so I was talking to one of my clients um, who has a four and a seven-year-old and he's very production oriented. And I said, and he's like, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll join in when they're ready to play, um, you know, little league soccer or something along those lines. And I said, um, you, you will already have missed the boat um, because when they get to be teenagers and they need your help, they're not going to ask you for it because the relationship that needs to be forged for them to ask you for help is happening right now. And he looked at me and we've been dealing, we've been working with each other for a few years now. And he said, the few years was worth that, what you just said to me right now. Wow. You know, we think we're supposed to protect them, um, guide them. We know what we're doing. Honestly, most of us don't. Um, and so I say, first and foremost, lead with love, which means curiosity about who they are and what they are most interested in. And I mean, you know, little, little, little kids, they're like, they're so excited about learning all kinds of stuff. Just follow them around. Just yeah. follow where they go. Join in with them um, and be with them. Be with them. Oh, just, just wonderful information. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much mm -hmm. uh, for, uh, for today. Uh, I know there were so many other topics that I wanted to dive into, but I know none <laughs> of them can, can happen here in, in a few minutes. Tell us again, uh, if, if we want to contact you to, mm -hmm. to get in touch with you or follow some of the things that you, mm -hmm. that you're doing with uh, Voices in Courage, again, uh, what's website and contact information for you? So the contact information is just go to voicesencourage.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, KL Wells, um, and Facebook, KL Wells, voicesencourage.com, Instagram. Um, we run reels where these just little, real shorties of um, information that I think is um, kind of pivotal for people to like get a snapshot of. Um, so, and if you go to voicesencourage.com and you want to send me a message or, um, I am me in any one of the social platforms, feel free. Um, either I will get back to you, um, or one of my team will get back to you. And trust me, um, this is my passion project, um, because there's far more of us who love people that are dealing with addiction and alcoholism than there are addicts and alcoholics. And the entire industry, for the most part, is focused on the addiction, the addict, and the alcoholic. Um, so Voices and Courage got born out of my need for, these were the things I needed, but they weren't all in the same place. Well, it, and, I, and I got to say, it's, it's, it's good to know that there's someone that's there for, for us, mm -hmm. right? And, and, there, and mm -hmm. there's groups 
that are there for us. And I know one of the things that 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 my foundation you know wants to do also is is mm -hmm. be that resource for people. And now you're you get to be one of those resources. Uh, Great. Kale, again, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for 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 talking with us today. And promise me that you'll come back. I really want to. You know, you had such great insight into the work that you do in 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 the in the corporate in the corporate world too. And so mm -hmm. maybe sometime we'll come back and we'll uh and, and we'll talk about that. But again, I would I would encourage people to to reach out to you and to do some research on you and and uh, mm -hmm. again connect with uh, all the things that you're doing. Absolutely, thank you. I'd love to come back. Um, this has been super fun for me, and you're a delight. Um, and doing great work in the world. And, and uh, like I said earlier, before we got on, you know, you have your passion and what you bring to the table. I have my passion, what I bring to the table. And, you know, we're linking um, puzzle pieces to this big picture. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, again, yeah. thanks so much, Kale. And uh, uh, for everyone out there today, uh, as always, uh, go find someone in your life today. Tell them that you love them. Yes. I'm Zach Stan. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.